You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. What's up, 26ers? Welcome to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and we are back with another episode of Extraordinary Occurrences with our producer, Demarcus Adisa. What's going on? What's going on? <laughs> so we were looking at the dates and we realized we hadn't done one of these in like eight weeks. It's been a long time. We shouldn't have left you <laughs> without a dope pause to step two. Step two. It's just crazy how like the time just flies. Like, I don't know where it goes, but it goes. Like time. I read somewhere like the older you get, the like shorter time durations of time are like when you're a kid, like a day feels like forever because you haven't lived for that long. Um, But the older you get, it's just like when we was in grade school, the calendar did not fly by like this. Like, and I feel like as soon as I get winter clothes, it's June again. Like, Yeah. You know, it's what people say when you have children, the days are long, but the years are short. I think it applies to just adulthood after a certain age across the board. Straight up, because I feel like every time there's a countdown for something like taxes <laughs> or like, uh, you know, registration, anything that's like do, that requires bureaucracy, like you just look up like, oh, snap, that's tomorrow. Here it is again. Right. <laughs> like, it's constant. I just paid them taxes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole lot. But yeah, I mean, so we're here pushing through once again, recording this episode. I feel like. Everything and nothing have both transpired in the last two months. A lot has transpired since the last time we were on. Somebody had an article that went public. I did. Business Insider. And, you know, so I I did it like I, I conducted the interview or was interviewed, I should say, the end of last year and mm-hmm. then sort of just kind of forgot about it, you know, because it's got to go through edit and get cleared and see if it's actually going to get published. They don't give you any guarantees. So just who I am as a person, I just tend to temper expectations. Um, And then life got busy. And then all of a sudden, Business Insider was like, oh, by the way, this is going live today. And it was out there. Out there in the universe. Mm -hmm. How did you feel, um, you know, having a piece of your story out there in a major publication like Business Insider? You know, I didn't think a lot of it at the time. And again, I think that's just a personality trait that I just tend to do something and sort of keep it moving. I don't necessarily revel in it as much, Um, but it wasn't until other people started talking to me about it that I realized, oh, wow, like this is making an impact. And I think I didn't think as much of it because I knew that that was just such a minuscule piece of my own story that like it, it doesn't encapsulate really who I am, right? It's what you would expect from an article from a business-focused publication. So, you know, for me, I just sort of did it and was like, oh, this is a great feature. But I knew that like so much of me wasn't revealed in it that I probably didn't think it was that big of a deal um, until like other people made it a big deal. And then when I finally posted about it and shared more of sort of my story and how I got here, that's when I felt really exposed and like vulnerable in a way that the article um, didn't cause me to feel. Why did you feel so vulnerable? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess for a long time, I've shared pieces of my story, but I've generally done it with two different types of audiences. One, like small mentor mentee type audience and sort of using that as encouragement 
for someone coming behind me who may have had a similar experience and now is trying to figure out how to navigate. And then um, on the other side of that, maybe large audiences, but audiences that look like me specifically. Um, So, you know, (laughs) she's talking about black people, y'all, not Spaniards. Which we will get to. Which we will get to. So, you know, it's one thing to to have those conversations within your own quote unquote community. And it's Mm -hmm. another thing to put them on display for everyone to see. Right. So I think for a lot of black and brown folks who work in corporate America, especially, especially we spend so much time crafting a certain image. And it's not a false image. It's just the version of us that has been groomed and conditioned for those spaces. And oftentimes you leave your personal story out of it, your personal difficulty, your personal obstacles that you've had to overcome because you've just been trained to do that. Check all that stuff at the door and get in here and compete. Put your nose to the grindstone and get it done. But the reality of it is that those experiences that make us who we are are part of the reason why we can go in these spaces and survive and thrive and do well because that grit often comes from a lot of what your family has seen and what you have seen. So I'm, I am trying to be more intentional about revealing parts of my story that really account for um, who I'm, I'm becoming, who I am becoming. Right. And I think there's another piece. You probably won't say this, but I'll say it because mm-hmm. I don't I'm not attached to anyone. It's like. I don't want y'all up in my business like that because me sharing this and divulging this in a corporate setting, what does it do for anything? Mm-hmm. Um, most people can't even begin to understand the world that you're coming from, upbringing less like in a lot of these settings, especially when we talk about um, at least white collar firms. You know, whilst you have those, you you have people from other di- communities, or sometimes people who are first generation Americans that can kind of identify with it, but it's a very unique experience coming from not only just being black, but coming from a black family when you're the first to do a whole lot of things. Right. And I think the, the conversation that is, and you alluded to this in like your post is like, you get a lot of life wisdom, right? Everything is not formal education, formal training. Um, you get a lot of life wisdom um, from family members and things they gleaned about people. Cause that's the thing that's universal. People don't change. You can get an understanding of people, whether you're in college or not, like, a certain social psychology, social intelligence that's important to navigate these spaces. But like other part of it is just like, again, you have to discover a lot of things on your own. And again, sharing these details just can create awkward situations versus like helping you or people feeling like you're some sort of charity case. They got to do something extra or feeling like you're feigning your situation to get more support. Right. Which is never it. Right. But it can be it can feel like that, like you're sort of trotting out this sob story um, about how you had to overcome because you think it's going to bring something back to you. And, and, and for me, it's, you know, we've built a whole show around like radical honesty, right? but that, that radical honesty, fortunately or unfortunately, the way you grab where you look at it is not required of me as a host, right? I can temper how much I say in these conversations because it's about the guests. So even though we've spent the last four plus years, almost four and a half, cultivating this space for people to come on and say, you know what, this is who you see in the public. This is who you see in my office. This is who you see on social media. But this is everything that makes me me that I may not have discussed before. Um, I can sprinkle that in and dabble that in on the show, but it's not like I'm, I'm being interviewed and I, I dig into it that way. So even even with 
that as a backdrop of being a podcast host who has provided that safe space for so many people at this point, um, it felt a bit new to do it for myself, you know, on the internet. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to take that step, step to show more about yourself and also to give the people their just due that weren't included in that article. Absolutely. Because when you have, especially business publications and just people from different communities shaping a narrative and they say, oh, you know, well, you, you didn't have this and you didn't have that, but there's a lot of other supplemental things that you can't even quantify that I was given that allowed me to be here and giving people their just dues. Like people joke about black people always giving shout outs and awards or where we're on TV, but that is meaningful because we, most of us understand it's a collective effort. It, it, it's not just your own do, doing. Yeah. You have to be disciplined. You had to do the work. You had to get the grades. You had to show up in attendance. Like we talking about going all the way back to elementary school. You had to do all those things, but it's a village of people around you um, to help foster that energy and keep you on the right path. Because as you divulge, there's so many ways that stuff could have went, your life could have went left. Exactly. Um, and two, if you think about just that collective effort, even generations before us of people who've done anything to make strides and step out of whatever their comfort zone is, you hear those stories of people like, I got on a bus and my family sent me on that bus with two chicken sandwiches, two dollars, <laughs> right. right? It's and it's it's something that I think culturally we hold dear that we may not have a lot, but whatever we have will come together as a village to help you. We may not have be able to give you a blueprint. We may not be able to pick up the phone and make sure that our connections are now your connections, but whatever little we have, we will take that and try to help you just go a little bit further and make it another day. And so that was important for me to, to craft that narrative outside of the article that was more so about, oh, I didn't have a blueprint, right? And I was right. in all these strange, in a strange land. Um, and so I'm glad I did it. When I first did it, I was like, ooh, should I have done that? Right. And mm-hmm. I thought about actually pulling it down because it felt so raw. And ironically, it felt raw, but it's not the rawest part of our story by oh, far. By far, right? no. Um, that's the neatly packaged part. <laughs> you gave them the BET Blackbuster Cinema. <laughs> like, there's certain parts of that story where the mouth is not lining up with the voiceover. The voiceover saying something totally different <laughs> than what the mouth is saying. Yeah. Yes, it's definitely the sanitized version. Um, but it was important to honor the elders and honor, you know, the people who who have really invested um, to help to get to this point, you know? And so, uh, yeah, so it feels good. I mean, you know, the question always becomes when you have moments like this, it's like, what's next? What's next? It's all about momentum and, you know, brand building. Um, And I don't, I don't really know what's next, honestly, Um, but I'm, I'm happy it's out there. It's just another feather in the cap another step on this journey. Um, and it does, it has opened doors and it continues to, to open right. doors um, as well. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. RIP to the ancestors, man. Yeah. I, Everyone that's not, not here. And I think the thing that I thought about, um, that I think about again, a lot of times that people don't even realize a lot of times the support is just you, like the things that you miss you might have taken for granted when you were alive is just a phone call. Right. Somebody telling you that they love you and they're proud of you. Is it like those mean those simple words mean different things when different people say them. Um, and to hear like to be in college and have Nana call or to be afterwards working and have pop call and say, I sure am proud of you. Mm-hmm. Like that just felt because, you know, it's like, man, your parents, I don't even know if they ever went to school. Y'all. Y'all 
fighting claw y'all fought and clawed for everything that you have and like you get to you hear that joy like all right at least the, 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 you hear that joy like they're like okay my efforts were not in vain right and i think that's the the painful part for a lot of people in that for a lot of different reasons often the ancestors are they become the ancestors before you reach a level of success and that's not everybody's story right. but if you just look at your friend circle that's a lot of people's story that the people who sacrificed through blood, sweat, and tears to help the next generation do a little bit better and the generation after that. Um, because of our life expectancy issues for a lot of us, grandparents are gone before even the first dream realization happens, let alone, you know, re- reaching any modicum or, or pinnacle of success. Um, so that that is hard. And it's even it's harder when you like meet people whose grandparents are alive and you're in the age your grandparents would have been. Right. You know, so there are people out here out here with the longevity. But a lot of us don't have, you know, are not blessed in that in that way. And it it does offer up a little bit of just pain. You hope there's somewhere looking down on you proud, but not being able to you know get those calls, like you said, um, and have those conversations in real time or just. Shut out the outside world and watch a movie or have a, a meal in those safe spaces. You know, you take it for granted when you have it. And then when it's gone and it's just you against the world, um, it's it's a lot. It's a whole lot. Yeah. So I am looking ahead. We've been talking a bit more about what the rest of the year looks like, you know, for the show. And we'll get into that. And I'm thinking more about my own personal brand and career and all those things and how it all sort of works together. But I, I knew too, you know me, I'm nothing if not strategic. Uh, so I knew too, like, even though that putting that a little bit of my story out there was hard, I'm just at a point in my career where these worlds have to start to collide. And before it was very easy to be lawyer over here, you know, corporate person over here, secret creative, secret speaker, all these things. And now I'm at a point where it's just got to come together. It, it it doesn't serve me or anyone else to leave those worlds separate. So that's really the, the path that I'm on. And I'm fortunate in that, you know, I have people around me professionally who support that and a company uh, that so supports it. And this is the first time I've actually done press for with my company mentioned. I've had some features before, but it's always been about my own thing. So that feels good, you know, to even though it's new territory to um, to bring the worlds together and bring who I am as I am uh, to my career as well. Y'all better get y'all equity stakes before that number change. (laughs) Better invest now, I'm telling you. So, um, but that's not the only development we had (laughs) over the last uh, couple of months. So let's go back to Christmas. Um, Anybody who knows me knows I'm more about the giving of the gifts than receiving. I like to give people things that I know they might really like or value or, you know, what have or things that they may not buy for themselves, but I know that they want. Um, so this year I decided to get African ancestry DNA kits for you and for mom as well. So if, if you guys know anything about African ancestry or these DNA test kits, it's like the patrilineage and the, you know, the, the matrilineage. So you have to have a male in your family to do the, and it's a specific male to do the the DNA for your paternal lineage. And then you have to have a woman, a specific woman, do it for your maternal lineage. So I gifted you the Patrick clan test um, and gifted our dear mother the maternal test, right? So when I looked it up, 
to do it at the time they were saying like, oh, the results take, I think it was like four to six weeks or something. I can't remember, mm-hmm. but it wasn't that long due to COVID and everything else. When you finally sent the test in, um, you know, I was expecting it to not take that long. And they said like 13 weeks or something. Right? It was something crazy. So before I kick this story over to you, the other driver for this, well, two drivers. One, if you guys don't know, DeMarcus is a huge, huge history buff. Um, so personal history is included in that. So I knew that he would value this in a way that, you know, other people may not. But also we are of a family where we don't know a lot about our lineage. Right. Uh, and we have not been able to trace that back for very far. A lot of different reasons why that's true, but there's a lot of our identity. We just don't know. You hear what may be folklore, what may be the truth. Um, but again, as is the case for many black families, we just don't, you don't, you can't trace back five, six generations. Not all it's gotten better, but not all. So this was about figuring out, okay, what African tribe do we come from? Like where we, what country, African country did we come from? This is going to close some gaps, hopefully, whatever. We can move forward with a sense of pride. Our mother's results are not in yet. But DeMarcus, you got your results. And what happened? It's, it's ironic because I was actually on the phone with, my, with mom. Um, so we were talking. I thought about it. And I looked up my results. And it said that I belong to the people of Portugal and Spain. <laughs> <laughs> oh man well it's what did it say it says you share ancestry you share dna they, it's like a hundred percent match to people who are settled in spain and portugal so it was weirdly it, worded, it was really yeah. worded and like i i read the letter and looked at the certificate like five or six times and it the, what was so wild about it is mom was like how is how how and then when she just had that moment like Oh, yeah, that's right. Slavery. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, we were talking about this the other day. It's like, we found a levity in it. Oh, my God. It was a great couple days. It was a great couple days. It just, like, jokes. A bunch of them, I'm not going to say, for the sake of keeping (laughs) the standard of (laughs) not putting an advisory on here. But we just found a levity in it. But it's like, that was the last thing um, that I was expecting to see is to share ancestry with these people. But that, I mean, that's the reality. And that's the reality of a lot of our existences is that whether we want to admit it or not, if you're black and your people are a product of the transatlantic, transatlantic slave trade, excuse me, like probably got a sizable amount of European ancestry. Yeah, I think what shocked me is that the European ancestry part had not been a secret. I mean, We'd heard from family members on that side that we had Irish in our family and all this other stuff. Um, so I, you know, I anticipated some some percentage or some something that was of European descent. What I did not expect is for them not to offer up any African I, ancestry, and they were just like, "Yeah, Spain, Portugal, good luck." Doesn't mean you're not black, but Spain, Portugal. Yeah, and I, your certificate. <laughs> yeah, I just I thought it was gonna be like Yoruba, Igbo, Fulani, some, yeah. something, something. No. Brother, you are connected to uh, the, the people of the Iberian Peninsula, which is just like, wow. But it doesn't it's not absurd because, you know, uh, you know, uh, the patrilineal side of our family, our father's side is from Jamaica. Jamaica was controlled by the Spanish at one point. So it's not far fetched at all. Um, at all. But it just makes you wonder, OK, like 
was this a product of some sort of sexual violence? You know what I mean? Was it a consensual relationship? Because from what I know about the racial interactions in the Caribbean are different outside of the U.S., different set of rules, different everything. But we know it's probably a good chance that this wasn't a love story or whatever. And you kind of, you know, we kind of make light of it. But in the grand scheme of things, I remember I was talking to someone and they're like, you know, I was like, I was taken aback at first. It was just shocking. They're like, what is there to be shocked about? I'm like, we speak about these things in these grand terms, but it's different when you when it's personalized. Right. right? People talk about, oh, you know, Europeans, this white folks, this, that and other. But it's different when you can say, all right, you got this in you from this specific country. It makes it personal. Right. It's not like some large story. No, this is directly tied to you. You could be like, I feel like I need to walk in and Newark in one of them Spanish restaurants. Like, one of y'all owe me something. <laughs> and when I say Spanish, I don't mean Dominicans or Puerto Rican. I'm talking about España. <laughs> people <laughs> people from like Madrid like I, or Valencia. Like, I need to walk in one of them. Like, I need to talk to one of y'all because I am old. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's been crazy. I mean, you know, I studied abroad in Spain. So I said, I was like, I didn't know I was going home to the motherland. Like, <laughs> and what's so funny is after a week in Spain, I just felt so at home. Like, I really just enmeshed in the culture. I love how much slower it was. Um, I was taking classes at a Spanish university in all in Spanish. And for you, those of you who don't know, Delicia speaks Spanish. Like, <laughs> not like kind of Spanglish. No, Vosotros form... <laughs> Spanish. Yes. Conjugates verbs and everything. Can write and read in Spanish. It's crazy. So I literally studied political economy, like classes like that in Spanish. Um, never thought I was a birthright trip versus just yeah. studying abroad. But um, yeah, so we are still sitting with that information. And for now, you know, sort of the path that I'm taking is a waiting for mom's results to come in. Right. Because our maternal lineage is out of Florida. So those Southern roots, I, I just, I'm going to believe and hold true that the results are going to be different given yeah. that our grandmother and, and her ancestors are from Florida. You know what I didn't think about to this point? What if mom's lineage comes back in Spanish too? Because you know the Spanish control Florida <laughs> as well. <laughs> You not don't even speak. Yo, that. If, it, if it say Spanish, yo, I'm going. <laughs> I'm going. I'm putting an accent over some of the letters in my name. Conquistador. <laughs> Conquistador. So yeah, oh, now you put that idea in my head that it could potentially. <laughs> there's there's no way. It, there there's has no way. to be African blood running. It's, it's got to be. All of our grandparents are black. Like yes. Well, Unky, our paternal grand- grandfather, he looked like something else. He looked like he could have been mi- mixed with something else, man. It's different color eyes. He's like maybe Delicia's complexion a little lighter. He was different looking. But still, like to be black is blackness is a, is a very wide spectrum. So. Right. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, Spaniards and Portuguese right now until we figure out the rest. Um, and then also it just. It gets dicey because that doesn't that patrilineal 
those results don't include our paternal grandmother. So we don't know what was on her side. And given the living relatives that we had and the way the tests work, we actually don't have a living relative that we could test to get the results that would pass, that would apply to us as well. Um, So we're sort of in the dark there and just have to go with Spain and Portugal for right now on our father's side um, and then wait to see what the, the maternal results say. I'm thinking, yeah, you know, Jamaican side, you know, that's the country that's been majority black for a very long time. We're going to get some real details. That blood is probably untapped, just pure, uncut African. Nope. No. Nope. Right. <laughs> um, so counting down, we'll, we'll, we'll provide an update once we have the maternal results and we'll see what happens. <sighs> Y'all, just please say a prayer for us. Please. Please. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Por favor. <laughs> <laughs> so what else is going on? Oh, man. Um, You know, aside from that shock, you know, I'm trying to keep my word. I publicly stated on here that, uh, you know, I want to go to film school. So I've kind of been working on some things uh, trying to get into a program. I don't want to jinx it. So I'm not going to give any details, but been working to put together, you know, application, do some writing. And Lord Jesus, when you don't do academic writing for a long time, it's it's a struggle. Like it's still the skills are still there, but it is I don't know, it's just like it's not like riding a bike. No. You gotta you gotta exercise that muscle a little bit before it comes back. Right. It will, but I don't envy you going through this process. Yeah, writing academically versus just texting your friends is two way different things. Like I, I really had to teach myself over how to do bibliography and citations and things like that. I forgot, oh, you just can't say stuff. You have to find the exact page. And you have to use the right citation format. You know, AMA, Chicago, MLA style, it's all these different things. Turabian. (laughs) (laughs) And it it seems like the other day, but literally I've been out of school for over 10 years. Has it been that long? Yeah, I graduated in 2011. Wow. So, you know, aside from, you know, that program that I, I did recently, but that wasn't heavy academic writing. Um, But, you know, that stuff used to come easy. There was a point in time I could I could write a 10 page essay in one night. No problem. Mm -hmm. Like citations and everything. Literally, you know, and you know how it is. You're a lawyer. There's a a lot of people don't understand there's a technique to reading. Once you understand the thesis of a book, what a book is about and the points that you're trying to prove, you don't need to read the entire book. There's a way to attack a book systematically to get to it and retain the information and write about it. And when you master that, you can do a lot in a short period of time. But when you don't work that part of your brain and that muscle, it's like, hold on. Wait, hold on. I got to reread this. Hold on. Wait. (laughs) Right. But I'm confident this is going to work out for you. I think this is where... You're meant to be. It's the logical next step right. um, for your long term career goals and, you know, for you to add some of those technical capabilities to which is really just raw talent and YouTube University that you have right now. Pretty much. Yeah. So that'll be good. It'll be good, man. But, you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't proud. Y'all I was over there reading with my finger. <laughs> <laughs> it, I'm telling you that the brain atrophies after a while. It, it just does. It does. And. The it's not that I can't read, but it's one of those, it's one thing to read things that you enjoy. It's another thing to to read things that are scholarly things that are not that are dense mm-hmm. ideas that you're not necessarily familiar with or haven't t- touched in a while that you have to refresh yourself. That these these things weren't written for everyday people to enjoy. These things were written for other academics, right? So it's no different from like a musician getting extra for another musician, like. Or, you know, 
than anything else. Like preachers preaching, mm-hmm. theologians preaching for other theologians. They about to pull the Greek right. and the Hebrew out, everything. So it's just, again, reworking that muscle. But we're here. It's still there. It didn't go away. Um, it's just I'm in the process of getting myself mentally back into shape. So what are you feeling about it? Excitement? Anticipation? Oh, it's, it's definitely excitement mm-hmm. um, because I think, um, and we were kind of talking about this earlier, it's exploring something that I'm passionate about and like, you know, making a go out of it and put myself out there. But also it's kind of different from prior times that I've put myself out there. Just think about my initial foray into college. I didn't really have a support system. Like I had family and stuff, but it's different to have an academic support system. Right. Right. People guiding you. This is who you should. This is what you should be doing. This is who you should be talking to. This is how you should go about it. You know what I mean? You don't. I didn't really have that going into college. And then I don't even know if I had the humility piece just to listen. Because so part, so much of it, when you're trying to strike out on your own as an 18, you're like, I got it. I can figure it out. I'm an adult now. But a lot of it is just, yo, you do not know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And you should seek the advice and the counsel of experts. That doesn't mean you have to follow what they say by law, but it's always good to get a second and third opinion right. on something to go out of yourself. You wouldn't, you know what I'm saying, if you got a blood clot in your leg, you wouldn't be like, you know, I'm going to slice my leg open and get the clot out myself. I was on YouTube. You wouldn't do that. You would go to a doctor and talk to them about, hey, what, what do you think I should do? Mm-hmm. And if you don't like what that doctor said, you're going to go talk to two or three other doctors to get a second and third opinion. Your life and academics and career, in my opinion, are no different. Right. Absolutely. It's a learned, it's a learned muscle. And I think, too, when you go to school and, okay, it's like I got through that part. I got here. Let me have my classes. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm making friends. Often, the first thought is not, let me put together a support system here and seek guidance to make sure I succeed academically. For some people, the first thought is like, how do I make money? If your education is not right. paid for or your education is paid for, but not your everyday expenses. So like, I have to find a job. And that often for a lot of people can from, can become the purpose of like you're building, or I should say the focus, you're building your the academic piece around the need to make money. And it's very hard for young people, especially to manage that. Oh, that's a that's a whole fact, because I was working like 30 hours a week my first semester for minimum wage back when minimum wage was like five fifteen. Right. Like you got to do everything just to make a few hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Right. To pay your phone bill and, you know, to have some money for food, extra stuff, because if you don't have it, you just. Nobody wired me money. this week. If you don't have it, it's like you go to the next person like, hey, man, can I? They got to get some noodles up off you. You got any extra dish, uh, uh, laundry detergent? <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's a different it's a different level of, of stress, you know, when you're worried about the economic piece on top of the academic piece as well. I mean, that's why I love a lot of these programs that are sprouting up. And I think they've always existed, but I feel like they're becoming more ubiquitous around providing those support systems, not just for undergraduate, but graduate Mm -hmm. degrees as well. Like helping to give people a chance and a leg up to not only get in, but get in and be primed to be successful. That's really important because the truth of the matter is grad school is a whole other bag. And so is doctoral programs. You could have been someone who thrived an undergrad and still flounder at the graduate level. Oh, if you're not for sure. Careful, especially if you're someone who's working and doing it as well. For sure. Because again, you don't, it, you're walking into a whole different world. It's different. It's familiar, but it's way different mm-hmm. expectations on that level. Um, and, and oftentimes, like, we being frank, when you somebody who's black 
or brown, you may be walking into a hostile environment. Very true, which we've seen happen. Well, we've seen happen. I got, you know, I'm not going to speak about anybody's business, but it's people in my circle. I've seen happen firsthand that, you know, they get accepted in these, in these institutions on a graduate level, and it is not what they told was told right. it was going to be. It starts to feel like, oh, I'm filling a quota so that they can say they have these numbers and these faces and this brochures, but nobody's here is trying to ensure my success. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's just like, all right, we're going to let whatever happens, happens. And if this person falls out of this program, it's just something we can use to say, see, I told you. Mm-hmm. I told you about how they are. Yeah, I'm actually reading um, this book right now by Yvonne Durant, who worked in the advertising business mm-hmm. for years. Uh, and the book is about her work, but also her relationship with Miles Davis. But She's talking about being someone who came out of FIT, got into advertising very early. We're talking like, you know, the 60s. And she was saying that um, the advertising industry at that point had shut minorities out to the point where like the federal Mm -hmm. government got involved and started mandating training programs. So they had built out these training programs, a lot of of the major ad agencies to bring black and brown candidates in to train them up to succeed in in advertising. But the way the program was rigged, because they didn't really Mm -hmm. want the demographic makeup to change, is that they would bring in an entire trainee program, but it would be like two really strong candidates and the rest would be like people they pulled off the street that they know would just flame out anyway so that they could say they tried without actually making any improvements right. with respect to percentages. And it's it's crazy that like now we live in a day and age where access to more resources, the programs have been around for a while. They're a lot more f- fleshed out and sophisticated, but some of the same subconscious principles apply. Like flame out, you flame out, like good luck, right? Um, not realizing that there's a level of support that may be needed uh, with respect to just navigating culturally in, in these spaces. And that's why I, I will always give credit to minority administrators at oh, yeah. all institutions, not just historically black institutions or PWIs, because as someone who's gone to two PWIs in both schools, I had black administrators who knew how to come and pluck you out and say, listen, you're going to be successful and we're going to help. you." Even if you're not looking for help, we're here to provide it because we know what you're walking into and we've watched how people come and they can stumble or you can thrive. And so I think it's really important to have, even though the numbers can be abysmal at a lot of these schools, that representation in, in an administrative capacity that can help you, even when you don't have, as you said, the humility to look for the help or you don't even know to look for it. Because, boy, it's just the, I think it's a lot, just the environments that you come on, come up in and how you're groomed and raised. But like, it's just, I just feel like a lot of people have a lot of pride and they don't want to be perceived as like less than. Yeah. Like coming for help or raising your voice up sometimes is source of pride and you feel like you're being weak. Like, I don't say I don't know, but you can't. You don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. It's not that you're not capable. You just need to be brought up to speed. And a lot of times we flounder, things happen. And by the time we speak up or say something, it's either too late or you've gotten so deep that you just give up. Right. Exactly. And I've seen it happen. I saw it firsthand happen time and time again, even at a historically black institution. Yeah. So, I mean, I and with your journey and where you're going, I think you're laying the proper foundation that you will have a much better support system. I should say you've laid right between your fraternity, but then other things you're adding to it. Um, Like you said, we won't jinx it, but I think you're laying the proper foundation 
to really have great success and also just going into something that you were purposed to do. Right. And, you know, when there's that alignment as well, and it's like, oh, I'm just going to get my MBA because somebody said I should, or I'm going to go into this program and be a teacher because it's safe. Um, when you're aligned, it doesn't mean that you don't have challenges, but there are certain things that, as they say in the church, come under subjection, right? That just come and bend to your will just by virtue of you doing what you've been purposed to do. So I'm excited to see what the next year holds as you you know can prepare to walk on this journey and, and get admitted uh, into a school and then be studying your craft full time. That's exciting. Um, but there, that's also a great se- segue into what else you wanted to talk about and that just things are changing so much. We're trying to figure out... <laughs> how to maintain um, the things that we work on together in our individual passion projects with life continuing to look much different as time progresses. Yeah, because things are just kicking up in all aspects yeah. and trying to figure out, you know, how do we keep this thing going and moving forward in the right direction, y'all? Right. It's not easy. And I know we've talked about it before. I guess that was last year sometimes. Mm-hmm. We were like after just loss and so many things, just the stress of the pandemic. And it was just a lot going on. You know, we had contemplated taking a break and people were like, don't take a break. Keep going. <laughs> people had taken don't a break. <laughs> people had taken a break. We're like, don't take a break. Um, but we are coming to that conversation again. And this time for different reasons, it's just more so trying to figure out how to manage because you're about to be on the road. Yeah. For a considerable amount of time for the next, what, six, seven months? Yep. Yeah. Back and forth. So you have that going on on top of applying to, to school. Pro- to programs on top of still shooting. Still stuff shooting. And editing. Running your business. I, most people know if you listen to the show regularly that I had started the next chapter of my career at the top of the pandemic and have been moving full steam ahead with that. Um, but that just requires a lot of focus, right? And that's my primary focus. I've always done all these other things around that because that is the job that pays me, right? Um, and that's the thing that, of course, uh, I went to school for and I'm going to ride that career until the wheels fall off. But I've always been able to balance that with everything else. But I am in a, in a position now we are in a position um, as a company where, you know, high growth, when you're in that high growth phase, man, and the, the, if you look me up, you'll see, we know we never mentioned it on the show specifically, but that Business Insider interview will tell you in LinkedIn and everything else, just where we are and where I am in my career and where I sit in the company um, is very different than working for a big old school Wall Street bank, which is where I came from, where, you know, things were well decided and there were guardrails and protocols and the job was really like almost like autopilot. You have your special projects here and there, but like, you know how to do that job when you're somewhere else where you're building and expanding. Um, it requires a level of like mental (laughs) fortitude that is very different than what I had to do before. This is really, this is taking me back to like solo practice days where every day somebody's calling with, you know, a different question or a different issue. So, so with that level of effort that is required at within my career, all of this other stuff has a slot in between that, which we've done it for a while and we've, we've managed, but also 40 year old me, this is like a different bandwidth and capability than 35 or even three years ago, 37 year old me. Um, so we're trying to figure that out. And it's philanthropy season for us. Right. It's it's it, 
August will be back. In a blink know. of an eye. Before we know it, that has to be planned. Money has to be made. Things have to be coordinated. And that's a lot of effort on top of running the show, you know, trying to make money and doing all those other things. It's just a lot uh, to run with a skeleton crew. It's sort of like uh, you feel like, uh, you know, you've got some spinning plates or something. Like yeah. That. Or you uh, Lucille Ball in the chocolate factory trying to... <laughs> With this, <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite, I love Lucy. <laughs> Putting it in your shirt, <laughs> in your mouth. Like, it's just, it's crazy. For those of you who are young that don't get the reference, look up I Love Lucy in the conveyor belt. It'll come up on YouTube. It will it's come, come literally up. one of the most famous gags of all time in TV history. Um, it has been replicated multiple times in multiple TV shows. But it that's what it feels like. It's just this conveyor belt of things coming at you and trying to manage it all and stay on top of it and not. And I think I think the main thing that you, you didn't touch on, but I'll say it is like trying to do all these things well. Right. Exactly. And having a certain level of quality to all these things and not just um, putting things out that are mediocre. I wanted to say something that involved a half of a posterior, but, you know, we got to keep the TV Y7 label on the podcast. Um, but like not just throwing anything out, try to be thoughtful and intentional about the quality of work you're putting out in all aspects of your life. Because like, you know, if you're just pushing out a bunch of mediocre things, like what are you really doing or whatever? It's true. With, you know, the the community work that we've done, we set the bar so high that first year and we pulled it off. But it was a year of plus of work. No vacations. No, nothing like that. It was like job, whatever you do that pays you. Mm-hmm. I think you were in school at the time. Right. Um, getting another degree. So that and then everything else. It was like podcast, host of fun, podcast, host of fun. And we did it. And then coming into the next year thinking, OK, we have a blueprint. At least we know how this works. Just run the whole plan back. And the pandemic meant, no, there was no plan. You have to figure out how to operate. And so we did that for two years. Um, and then now you would think, okay, let's just go back to the original blueprint. But hey, a lot of things have changed. Um, the the help that's available to you, things like that. Everybody's just in a different headspace. Companies are in a different, even small businesses, some that might have helped us then. Mm-hmm. Who knows if they even exist now? Um, so there's that piece of it. And then also just our lives look different. Our energy levels look different. All of those things. Um, I, I know that we are both prioritizing our health in a way that wasn't the case before, which is like by any means necessary. Yeah. Sleep when it's over, you know, and and I just I, I can't I'll speak for myself. I can't function that way anymore. Um, so we're looking at a number of things where I am professionally, even professionally outside of the day job, but also where's my personal brand growing? You know, we talked about that a bit in the beginning, um, trying to manage that. You now applying to film school, you are going to be on the road for a considerable amount of time. How do we continue to keep the show going? How do we keep the micro content going? And how do we plan our fourth back to school community event? And then outside of those things, you still have ties and responsibilities, right? You still have friends. You still have family, family, organizational obligations, things like that, and things that you're curious about and then working in rest and whatever else you need, mental health breaks, all the other things within those things. Like it is a it is a beyond a full time job. It, right. That's it. And then, you know, people don't they get what you do, but they don't really get what you do. So then you deal with people being like, 
oh, you know, you have a day off. Let's let's link up and not realizing that this may be the first day you've had off in six, seven weeks where it's like, I just need I can't move like I need to sleep. That's a hard thing to explain to people um, because it's the output where downtime is not really downtime. It's just shifting your attention to something else. Vacations are not, not vacations anymore. It's oh, we have to do these seven things, right, to get ready for the next right. thing. So um, we know this pace is not sustainable forever. Um, we are assessing sort of where the show is, looking at the metrics, um, you know, the rate of return from the show. And we don't look at rate of return necessarily from a monetary perspective, because that's the case. We would have quit a long time ago. <laughs> this show has been self-funded, you know, for over four years. And but the rate of return around, like, how's our network benefited by this? What are the connections that we've built? What are the things that are not necessarily of monetary value, but are of important to us that we've created with the show that we feel is generating a return on our investment? And there are many boxes oh, for sure. we can check there. But the reality of it is you have to have very honest conversations about how long am I going to continue to do something just for the sake of it, of being passionate about it? And what am I giving up to continue to do it, right? When it's not bringing value to my life in a very real like quantifiable way. Um, so, and so that's, that's the conversation we're having and is the trade-off something that we want to continue to make. Right. And by no means, I don't think, I know some people here just like, they stopping the show. You know? right. I don't think it's that. It's just at all. I don't think it's that, but it's just, how do we go about this in a more effective way? Right. Does this mean, does this mean less content? Does this mean seasons? What does this mean? Does this mean we switching? from a weekly format to another format, just figuring out what does it mean to something that's tangible, uh, that, that's manageable and meaningful, still having the same impact, um, same quality, something that can be built, built upon, but just manageable. Absolutely. That, that is, is really the thing that we don't have an answer for yet, but we are considering, <laughs> we are considering that. I don't know what the answer. I don't, I don't know, you know what it our, is. Our original plan, I don't know who ever mentioned this, but like our original plan was like the show wasn't going until uh, to seasons until we monetized. Right. Until we monetized it and we felt like we had like got gotten to a point where we could say, here are the metrics. We've been knocking it out of the park for X consecutive years. This is what we've done without a, a break. And this is what we've been able to build. Now we're taking it to the next level and looking at you sponsors or you podcast network. And oh, by the way, now that we have this, undeniable audience that we've built. Now we want to move to seasons where we take the summer off or what have you. That was the original plan. And now we're kind of like, uh, do we keep going, you know, for, for that long? And again, the keep going, the the opposite of keep going is not just stop completely, but do we keep going in the way that we've been going, knowing how just how much it takes to make this show happen. Right. And knowing that like people who do this at this level, as you mentioned offline earlier, are generally doing it either with a button pusher job during the day that doesn't require what's required here for us, or um, this is their full-time thing. So it's just like they they have the time and energy. And that's not everybody's story, of course, but like, you know, just for us, I don't know anybody else who's hitting all the cylinders that we do while also doing that with just a skeleton right. crew. And it, it, it'd be a little bit different if the main source of our content was just the two of us talking. Mm -hmm. It's a whole t def different element. We've said it time and time again, when you're bringing in other people and guests to talk to them, it's a whole process to get that set up and find people um, that are interesting and telling a different perspective. And like that, that is a whole process. 
Exactly. And, you know, what's interesting is oftentimes when someone comes on the show, as people know, we get so, so many of our guests from referrals, but people not often pull people from their own network. So it's from their professional network, their educational network, what have you. So what ends up happening is you, you start to talk to people who are similarly aligned just because they've come out of the same pool. So we've got to figure that out. You've got to try to space the episodes in the right way. So there's a lot of work and strategy that really goes into it that probably some people just don't even right. you know realize. Um, so as we look to where our lives are individually going, the obligations that we have collectively, i.e. Uh, the philanthropy piece that's not going anywhere. Um, we're just trying to figure out how to keep it all in the air, but do it in a way that the trade-off is not at the expense of our own like well-being and ability to rest and all those things. So, Because right. I love y'all, but my health <laughs> goes before everybody else's. And my, my sister's health comes before y'all's health. So take that, with, <laughs> take that how you will. I wouldn't expect people to be any otherwise about themselves and their families. Right. So, I mean, if you guys have any ideas, any feedback, you know where to find us. Talk to us. We know that some of you are longstanding supporters of the show um, and you know what we're about and you've been the sort of the backbone that kept the show and encouraged us to keep going. And now we are at a very real crossroads that come. It goes beyond, oh, we're just tired and we need a break. It's like, oh, no, life is about to intensify. And if we're already feeling this way, you know, how do we navigate that? Right. So um, that's what we're trying to figure out. That wasn't really a high note to, to end on. It wasn't, but true. I mean, keeping it a be. Yes, that's where we are. That's what we're, we're figuring out. We are not leaving you all in the lurch, but there are some things to be discussed. Um, some changes might be coming. I don't know. You might not see me doing videos every week. We're going to see what happens. We're going to try some things out, do some A-B testing um, and see where things go. But, you know, in this last solo episode I did, I think it was the last one or the one before that. I can't remember. I mm-hmm. talked about not being afraid to pivot um, and you've got to be agile. That's a word that gets thrown around in corporate spaces all the time. But it's true. You, you have to be uh, flexible and see what wor- see what's working and see what's not. Know when to push, know when to pull back. Um, and know when to change things and keep the momentum going. And that is the exercise that we are in right now. Um, the December 26th brand is here to stay. That's not going anywhere for mm-hmm. sure. But we're trying to figure out what does the 26th brand look like for 2022 and beyond? How do we do it in a way where we can ensure we don't flame out and it does crash and burn? Hey, dig up, man. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to tell the people? Hey, uh, mi, uh, mi familia, uh, hasta luego. <laughs> oh, man. You're not going uh, not, not to let this go. We, we need those other results <laughs> to come in, man. I need, we need, we need the other results. That's all I got to say. Yeah, we need it to come in. I need to know that there's some Nigerian or Ghanaian blood pumping. Somewhere. Somewhere. So listen, uh, thank you all for rocking with us. Thank you for tuning into these episodes where we kind of just talk about whatever's going on. I do I do regret waiting so long to have this one because there was like a major pop culture moment that we, which is old now. So, but you know, so because we do these these episodes on our schedule, there are some lively conversations that we're having off the air. But by the time we get on here, it's just not relevant anymore. So that's it, folks. Listen, we ended this one on a different note than we normally do. But even if you don't have feedback for us about what you're thinking on our journey uh, to the December 26th brand or the next iteration of the December 26th brand, you know what to do. If you've enjoyed this episode, like, share, subscribe, tell somebody about it. And if you don't do anything else, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Viva la España. (laughs) 
Thank you for listening to the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.